Welcome to the Games for the Throne podcast, a podcast about the HBO series Game of Thrones. I'm your host, Courtney, aka Mother of Dragons. Hello, welcome to episode 605, The Door. This was such an amazing episode and an emotional roller coaster. It moved some storylines along, hopefully getting Arya out of this house of black and white funk, getting Jon and Sansa closer to marching towards Winterfell, getting Danny back to Marine, and more importantly, closer to Westeros, and also showing us how Hodor became Hodor. We start off with Sansa at the wall, and she gets a letter from Littlefinger asking her to meet him in Molestown. So she decides to go and she takes Brienne with her. When he sees her, he says that he's really happy that she was able to escape the Boltons unharmed. And um, he tells her that the Aaron army is at Moat Kalen waiting to fight for her. That he was going to come rescue her, but he heard she got um, rescued or she got away. She asks if he really knew uh, what Ramsey really was. And she says if he didn't, then he's an idiot. And if he did, then he's her enemy. And she says Ramsey kept the part of her, he kept the parts of her he needed, like her face intact, but he did things to the rest of her, things she still feels even now. So she wants Littlefinger to get what Ramsey did to her, to guess what Ramsey did to her. He doesn't want to, so he apologizes and said he made a horrible mistake and he underestimated a stranger. But she doesn't let it go at that. Um, she won't take that as an answer. She tells him she doesn't need or believe him anymore and that she no longer trusts him because he said he was saving her by taking her from people that hurt and killed her family. But he turned right around and delivered her to another group of people that hurt her and killed her family. He tries to convince her that he can still protect her, but she says she, he can't even protect himself, that she could have Brienne cut him down right there and there's nothing that he could do about it. So once he promises again, he'll do whatever is in his power to protect her, even if it means dying. But she tells him he can go back to Moat Kalen and never show his face again. But before she leaves, he tells her that not also does he have the army at Moat Kalen, her great uncle on her mother's side, Brendan Blackfish, um, who is a Tully, has rallied an army and taken back River Run from the Freys. So he thinks she should reach out to him to help her and John take back Winterfell. She says, well, I already have an army, but Littlefinger points out that the wildlings are John's army. And after all, he is only her half brother. Then we see Arya and the Waif. They're still in this stick fighting marathon um, doing her training. Arya tries to show her toughness by getting snot knocked out of her over and over again. Um, but she gets right back up and then the waif drops the stick, starts fist fighting her and just sucker punches Arya, knocks her out. The waif says she'll never be one of them and he call and calls her Lady Stark. Um, Yakin is there watching and he looks at Arya and says, well, the waif has a point. Yakin takes over Arya's lessons and he um, talks to her about how the faceless men got started so they were originally um, slaves, and then at some point they founded the city of Bravos. So now they're basically glorified assassins, and I'm not really sure what their exact purpose is. Uh, seems like you just give them a name, pay them a price, and they kill the person, whether they're good, bad, whatever. Um, so they don't ask why or 
um, or judge. They just assassinate. So I don't really know how I feel about the whole this whole thing. Like I get that she's getting great training. There's a purpose for it. Um, you know, there's things in the future that I think it's going to help out with. But they don't really seem like great people and something she really wants to dedicate her life to. Um, Yekin tells Arya he's decided to give her a second chance and he gives her the name of someone to kill. And this person is an actress in a local mummer's troupe named Lady Crane. Yekin tells Arya that this is her last chance and one way or another her face will be added to the hall. So I guess he's threatening her that if she doesn't come through on this then her face will be added. Either she will be added and she will be part of the Faceless Men or they will kill her and take her face and use it. So, you know, this is her last chance. He just not um, going to give her another one. Arya goes to check out the play and they're performing this play from events um, around the time of Robert's death. Now, technically, this should have been a couple of years. So maybe people in Essos would have still found that interesting. Um, but um, anyway, it does give Arya more of a chance to, to react what's, to what's going on rather than just seeing um, things that happened after um, Joffrey was killed. So anyway... Starts around the time of Robert's death, and the actress playing Cersei is Arya's mark, and the play is about how the evil Ned Stark tried to steal power away from poor Prince Joffrey after his father died. Arya even goes backstage to check out the woman, um, and she tells Yakin the actress has a taste for rum, and so she thinks that's how she will poison her. Arya wants to know who asked for the woman to be killed, and when Yakin won't tell her, she guesses that it must be the younger actress who plays her sister Sansa. And he tells her if she is to serve the many-faced god, then she should not ask questions. We go back across the Narrow Sea and all the way to the north where Bran is. He is still in the Cave of the Three-Eyed Raven, and... Um, he is currently in a flashback, um, seeing how the first White Walker was made. So basically we find out that the children of the forest, um, made White Walkers. They take, they took a man, um, and they shoved a piece of dragon glass into his heart. And this somehow melded him into this undead thing, um, with insanely blue eyes, um, and Leaf, who has been in the tree cave with them, um, the one who rescued them when they got there, she is the one who actually um, did this. She's the one that put the piece of dragon glass, glass into the man's heart. So um, the man, too, that we see is the Night King. Um, so we see he's the first one, and I guess that's why he's the most powerful um, and the leader. But Bran wakes up and he says he knows that it was Leaf. She says they were at war and were being slaughtered by men and they needed to defend themselves from these men. So again, you know, the Andals and the first men had come in and um, were just tearing down everything, tearing down the weirwood trees, building, stomping, you know, everything that once was. There was such this lush land up there. And, um, what does man do? But he comes in and destroys. And so their, um, weapon was to make the white walkers to get rid of the men, but then they couldn't control their weapons. 
Next, we go to the Iron Islands and we get to see what a king's mutt is in this episode. And a king's mutt is an old customary gathering on the Iron Islands after a king has died. At the king's mutt, anyone who wants can put his or her, though it's always been a male, um, his or her name forth to be chosen as king. Yara thinks she has a good chance to win the king's mutt and um, puts her name forward. But a lot of the men ask why they should choose her when one of Balin's own sons, Theon, still lives. And Theon tells um, them Yara is their leader and she could bring them the things they so greatly desire. He is not a ruler. She is. She's been there with them. With them um, and they know her. So he says it's it's just not his right it needs to go to her and this seems to kind of like make the men think oh okay you know maybe we'll try this out after all you know you're Balin's daughter you do command ships you know we like you but then out of nowhere someone else steps forward and it's their long lost uncle Euron back for the crown Yara immediately accuses him of king slaying and says she will have him executed. But um, surprisingly, Euron admits he killed Balon. He says Balon was leading them nowhere. No one loved him or wanted to follow him. And he's sorry that he didn't do it sooner. Theon points out that Euron has been out in the world and not there helping their people, though. You know, unlike Yara, who has been there with them, she's been there, she's helped her father rule, she's been an advisor to her father, she's been, um, she's captain of boats, she's um, been to war, and, you know, she's been there for them. And what's Yaron doing? been doing? He's just been flouncing around the world, doing whatever. But he says, well, you know, I was out there learning things, and um, I learned that there's this woman with dragons, and we can do this and we can do that and we're going to take back the iron throne well they never had the iron throne but they're going to take the iron throne um so then urine points out that balon failed in two uprisings against the iron throne which was one was back when ned stark was younger this was um after robert's rebellion and i guess balon decided he wanted to be king of the iron islands tried an uprising um, Ned Stark came as the liege lord and he um, quelled the uprising and that is how Theon actually went to live with the Starks as that part of that deal was um, or part of his punishment was that your youngest son is going to come and be my ward and grow up in my house and that's what Balon always held against Theon even though it wasn't Theon's fault. Then the second uprising was the one during, during the War of the Five Kings. So, obviously the Iron Islands need a real man to make them more powerful. Both claim they will build the biggest fleet the Ironborn has ever seen. But Euron says he's going to sweep Daenerys Targaryen off her feet with his big cock. And use her and her dragons to take over Westeros. I don't mind telling him this is never going to happen. Danny may like gruff, confident men like Dario, but she definitely has no love for tyrants. The men all change and start calling for Euron. 
And then we cut to Euron being baptized under the drowned god, which is a very literal ceremony. They take you down to the water and they drown you. And then once your um, lungs are full of water, they um, pull you back up on the beach and they just wait for you to cough the water back up. And if you cough the water back up, then you are, um, you're baptized under the drowned God and you are the rightful ruler. So he gets done with that. And, um, luckily Yara and Theon used that time to haul ass out of there before their dear uncle has them killed. Because when he wakes up, that's exactly what he wants to do. He asks where his niece and nephew are so they can go kill them. But um, they used that time to get the ships together and leave. So um, they took all of his best ships. So Euron tells the men that they need to get to work chopping down trees so they can build a thousand ships to sail for his bride. Danny is getting ready to leave Vase Dothrak. She's um, looking out over the city and she tells Jorah that he saved Danny once again and she finally forgives him for spying on her when they first met. She's in a bind though because she can't take him back to Marine with her and she doesn't want to send him away either. But he tells her that the choice has basically been made because he has grayscale. She says she's very sorry and asks if there is a cure, but he doesn't know of one. He tells her he knows what happens when it takes over, and he plans to end things before that. He also confesses that he loves her, and he always will. He only ever wanted to serve her. He tells her goodbye and turns around to leave, but she tells him to not, you do not walk away from your queen. He uh, pledged himself to her, so she mu he must do as she says. So she commands him to find a cure and come back to her, because when she takes the seven kingdoms, she will need him by her side. So as he goes off into the sunset to try and save himself, she leads her new Kalasar out of Vase Dothrak and towards Marine. Speaking of Marine, since the agreement with the Masters, there has been a very fragile peace in Marine. They haven't had dead bodies in the streets since Tyrion made his deal with the Masters. Tyrion says the problem is that Danny isn't there to take credit for making the peace. They need a female hero to sing Danny's praises. So, they call on this red priestess named Kenvara. It looks like she wears the same choker that Melisandre wears with that huge ruby. Um, so, maybe she's got the same magical power that um, Melisandre has. Maybe she's hundreds of years old, too. Um, she thinks Danny comes from the Lord of Light, and she promises to spread the word that Danny is the savior that was promised, who will bring peace and prosperity, and that her dragons are a gift from the Lord of Light. She will tell how Danny has arrived to tame the darkness to come. Varys isn't a fan of the red priests, uh, red priestesses, since they are basically sorcerers like the one who made him a eunuch when he was a boy. He tells this priestess that Stannis Baratheon was backed by a red priestess claiming he was the prince that was promised, but he was defeated and he is now dead. So he thinks the followers of the Lord of Light are fanatics. Everything is the Lord's will. She says, well, everyone makes mistakes. 
He asks how she can know more than the priestess who stood by Stannis. And she asks Varys what the flames said that day when he was a boy and the sorcerer threw his parts into them, into the fire. And he is taken aback by this. She asks if she should tell him what the voice said and the name of the one who spoke. He doesn't say anything, so she tells him, we serve the same queen. We go back to the tree cave. Um, the three-eyed raven is asleep, so Bran decides, ah, it won't hurt anything. I'll just grab a branch. I'll look at a few visions. No harm, no foul. But he sees this enormous army of whites, and when he turns around, he sees the Night King at the front of the army. Um, so he starts to kind of turn around and look again because there's so many whites. And when he makes it back towards the Night's King, the Night's King was on a horse. He's off his horse now. He's in front of Bran and he grabs Bran's arm. So he has now left this um, mark on Bran's arm. And Bran wakes up out of the vision and he's... Um, the Three-Eyed Raven wakes up. He knows what's happened. He says, now he knows you're here. Now he can get in. There's nothing protecting you from him here. You need to go now. You need to, um, you're going to have to become the Three-Eyed Raven. So I'm going to have to teach you everything right now. <laughs> and then we go back to the wall and Sir Davos, Sansa, um, Brienne and uh, Tyrion, not Tyrion, um, Tormund and all of those folks, they're trying to figure out how to get more Northmen on their side. John doesn't have the Stark name to rally them, but John says, well, Sansa does. And so they decide to use that in their favor. Sansa thinks they can win the car Starks back. She says the Northmen are loyal. Sir Davos doesn't think so, though, especially since they didn't fight when the Starks were betrayed by the Waltons. John wants to rally the smaller families and go from there. Um, Sansa tells them that the Blackfish has taken back River Run, but she lies about how she got the information and she said she overheard it at Winterfell instead of telling John about her meeting with Littlefinger. So she's going to send Re Brienne to River Run to win Sir Brendan and his army to their cause. Brienne doesn't really trust Arya alone with uh, Lady Melisandre and Sir Davos. Um, but Sansa says that John is her brother. He'll take care of her. Um, she'll be fine. And uh, Tormund does some kind of weird flirtation thing with Brienne at this moment, which she just completely dismisses. She is just not into that. And it's just, it's adorable. Um, for lack of a better word, it's adorable. Um, Brienne asks Sansa why she lied about um, how she knew about River Run. And uh, Sansa doesn't really give her an answer. Uh, but Sansa gives John this cloak that she made him. It's like the one their father used to wear. And, um, as Brienne, uh, prepares to leave to go to the Riverlands, Sir Davos, Melisandre, Sansa, and John, um, are going out into the north to rally the other houses to their cause. Then we go back to Brienne again. And uh, this is the section I like to call A Tale of Two Hodors. So the Three-Eyed Raven is now transferring all of his knowledge to Bran. It's like a Matrix thing. Going back and forth. He's just 
downloading all of this information at, at Bran. And uh, Mira is excited to be leaving the cave as she packs her things up. I don't think she realizes exactly what's coming for them, exactly how bad it could be. But she's excited to get out of there. She's, she's ready to move on. Um, she's talking to Hodor and her breath turns cold. And we see um, like steam out of her uh, breath. And so they know the White Walkers have arrived. And Leaf tells them that they have to get Bran and escape now. Bran is seeing all of these different kind of flashbacks and uh, is in Winterfell watching his father as a child getting ready to leave and be fostered by John Aaron at the Eyrie. And at the same time that this flashback is going on, the Whites have arrived. And even though the children of the forest are throwing firebombs at them, it's not slowing them down. So the Night's King is just pushing through. Um, the children of the forest have these little firebombs that they're throwing. They basically encircle the front of the tree or maybe around the whole tree um, with this fire that the whites um, cannot get through, but the white walkers can. So the whites basically get around this fire and they start crawling through the trees and through its roots to get to them. Um... The Night King just walks through the Ring of Fire straight into the cave, but the Whites aren't able to go through, so they have to find another way in. Mira can't get Bran to fully wake up since he's still downloading information, and they need Hodor's strength to hold off the Wild Walkers. So she gets Bran on the sled, and she drags him towards the door. The White Walkers get in and poor Summer gets killed trying to give them some time to get out. Um, another dire wolf down. Um, it's just really sad. Um, Bran hears Mira screaming for him to warg into Hodor. They're desperately, you know, racing across this huge underground cave to get to the sort of back door um, that there is in order to get away. Um, and she keeps yelling to Bran, we need you to work into Hodor. We need Hodor to get you out of here. So the three-eyed raven, they're in the vision in the um, courtyard at Winterfell, where Ned Stark is, where Willis is, where Benjamin Stark is, and where um, Rickard Stark, Ed Stark's father, is. And um, the three-eyed raven says, you must do it. You need to do it now. So... Bran wargs into um, present Hodor and he's doing this at the same time that young Hodor is in this vision that Bran is locked in. Um, Bran is just locked in this vision. He can't get out of it. So Mira's dragging Bran through this tree cave to the back door they get out of the back door the whites are hot on their tail and um mira turns around and asks um bran in hodor <laughs> to um hold the door hold the door and so as this is happening um the young hodor in bran's vision falls to the ground, having a seizure, repeating, hold the door, over and over and over again, until finally it becomes Hodor. 
Um, so it was just very, and Bran's just standing there. He sees this going on. There's nothing he can do about it. He realizes that it's his fault. And, um, you know, this is someone he loves, someone that he feels is part of his family. And he's done this to them. But, um, you know, there was nothing else that they could do. So young Hodor has this seizure, now just says Hodor. Um, true question is, is, does, you know, is young Hodor able to see or um, be present in current Hodor's body? Does he know that this leads to his demise? Does he know how he's, his character is going to end, you know? Um, or does he know nothing? He just kind of looks at Bran doesn't know who this person is that he sees and he falls down and has this seizure. Um, I would think that he sees something, some kind of vision that he's seeing while he's having this seizure. Um, so I think that Hodor knew a lot more than, you know, he let on and it just, but he wasn't able to tell anybody if he told anybody, would they really have believed him? So who could have known all this time that, the answer to why Hodor was Hodor, why he said Hodor, was that it was hold the door and specifically holding the door while getting ripped apart by whites so that Bran and Mira could get away. So, you know, as you've heard, the Iron Islands have a new king. Um, Yara and Theon are off to God knows where. At least they were smart enough to take the best ships. So at least Euron doesn't um, have a way to catch up with them just yet. Um, Danny's heading back to Marine and um, hopefully to Westeros at this point. Um, she will have to... Um, you know, work with anything that if the peace doesn't stay that Tyrion created, she's going to have to figure that out before she just abandons Marine. Um, <clears throat> Sansa and John, um, you know, there's some deceit there. So does Sansa not trust John? Is she just trying to keep something for herself? Is she just trying to watch out for herself. Um, lots of different things going on. And then of course, Bran is now, going to be heading to the wall. Um, he's now going to be the Three-Eyed Raven 24-7. Uh, other Three-Eyed Raven is gone. And is Arya going to pass her final test and become one of the faceless men? You know, is she going to kill this woman who, from what I've seen, looks pretty decent? She doesn't look like a, a mean person or anything, like she's done any wrong, doesn't mean anything, looks are deceiving. Um, but you know, if this younger actress just wants her part and so she wants her dead, you know, I don't know. I think that the faceless men should have a better, um, mission statement than just, yeah, we kill people cause you ask us to. And then it's like, they're serving a God. Okay. So is that like the God of money because we kill people because we get paid? Anyway, I don't know. I just like to know the um, bylaws of that particular religious um, group. <laughs> but anyway, so next time, next episode um, will be the sixth episode of the season. So I look forward to seeing you then. Um, I hope you enjoy this podcast and uh, stay tuned. You can figure out how to reach me if you have any theories or questions or anything. 
Thank you for listening to my podcast, Games for the Throne. This podcast is new, and what I'm doing is before season seven, I'm going through back through all the episodes of season six and doing recaps on those. If you have questions, comments, crazy theories, you can email me at gamesforthethrone at gmail.com. You can also like me on Facebook at Games for the Throne, and on Twitter, it's at Games for the Throne, but the four is actually the number four. You can also check out my Games for the Throne blog on 3cstudio.net, and that's where I'm going to be putting um, episodes of the podcast as well. There will be lots of news. Um, I've talked about different theories. You can go on there and see what else on there. So I'll see you next time.